London Marathon in 2019 in four hours and 34 minutes. And then I did London Marathon 2022 in two hours and 36 minutes. No idea how the England selection process works. I literally got an email and was like, would you like to be considered? Never for one second believe I can't do something. And if I set my mind to it, I'm gonna do it. I'm proud to wear an England vest. Claim to fame, I have on Strava got the local legend for the most loops of Battersea Park. Yeah, that's more impressive than the marathon side. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Brick by Brick episode 13 with Anya Cullen, England marathon runner. Okay, welcome back to Brick by Brick. Today, I'm joined by Anya Culling. We met in a coffee shop yeah. and it's quite a funny story. <laughs> I overheard you coaching someone running on phone and then I was like, oh, I'm, I'm into running. So I asked you what it was and you said you were a running coach and yeah. then proceeded to say that you weren't a very good runner and then no, after I going home I was saying I was an average runner <laughs> <laughs> an average runner and then going home and seeing on your Instagram that you're running for England two and a half hour <laughs> marathon it's ridiculous so first of all you taught me a lesson about being humble <laughs> no I just don't like to my own trumpet when did you start running so I literally started in lockdown. Um, do you mean to go into the full story? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go on then. Let's hear it. Okay, so I did the last London Marathon before lockdown and I didn't like running then. I don't know why I did it, to be honest. I did it for charity um, and it was a horrible experience and it was painful. But afterwards you forget all of that pain um, and it's, it suddenly seems like the best day of your life. Um, but I would say I definitely didn't catch the running bug from that. It's only like looking back in hindsight that I was like, that was amazing. Um, then we went into lockdown and I just needed to like get out of my own head. So I'd go on like my mental health runs and I literally would wear any trainers. I didn't have a watch. I wouldn't know how far I'd ran or how fast or anything. And I'd pass this same guy every single day in Battersea Park. And I got chatting to him, like keeping our distance apart one day. And he was like, oh, I've just been made redundant from my job. But I'm thinking of becoming a running coach. And then I was like, do you want to coach me? Um, and so I found Nick Bester, my running coach then. Um, and he has trained me ever since. And now he has one of the biggest run clubs in England. And I am now one of his coaches that works below him. And I'm his first athlete he's ever trained to an England vest. It, you say that so casually, but how how do you go from like lockdown runs around Battersea Park to being selected to run for England? <laughs> so I did, yeah. So as I said, I did 29, London Marathon in 2019 in um, four hours and 34 minutes. And then I did London Marathon 2022, so last year, um, which was the second marathon after COVID in two hours and 36 minutes. So I did almost that knock off nice. two hours of my marathon time in lockdown. Um, <laughs> Nick must be very talented. <laughs> I just don't, I don't think it is talent though. I, I think it's a mindset I say that to so many people. I do have a really strong head on me, and that is something that everybody can learn. Um, but it has been a really quick progression. But 
Um, it's just about my consistency. And I literally never give up. Like I'm always, my coach will say like, I, I'm not the hardest worker. I'm not the most talented, but I never for one second believe I can't do something. And if I set my mind to it, I'm going to do it. Like, um, I just, yeah, it's just keeping consistent at it, I think. When did it click? Like, when did you, when were you like, I, I love this, I'm going to start training? Or did it just progress naturally? Like, at what point were you like, like 2.30 or 2.36 is no joke. Like, you don't just do that by accident. <laughs> Yeah. Um, obviously, I, so that was the first marathon where I went out um, and was like, okay, let's see what I can do here. And I really hope I'm going to get a good time. I did come third Brit on that marathon. So that was mental. And then, yes, yeah, since then, I did Copenhagen Marathon and got it down to 2.34, which was fine because that's just, that's it officially two hours off my marathon time um <laughs> but I think I don't know that it didn't like it wasn't like a click and I was like I'm gonna be a runner um I loved training in lockdown and running with the guys no hatred to my brother he has been one of the biggest motivators in my life but I've always been he's a dream child and he's like he's the sportiest guy ever and he would run with me in lockdown um and he's wear a rucksack and fill it with dog food or just things to make it heavier so that it wasn't so painful to run at my slow pace and then he'd get to each corner and like <laughs> do some burpees or something to wait for me to catch up um and I've always been on his back foot and then in lockdown when I was running and being quicker than the guys I like reveled <laughs> in that um, and it did definitely push me on further I think Rome marathon was my first um big one I think I did that in 248 and that was the one that really surprised me um and I was yeah first non-elite at that um I think I was first even European which is mental and yeah that was the time where I was like ah let's give this a shot like you you can only live once um <laughs> definitely want to like be able to tell my grandkids these stories and I was like you better give it a shot Anya it's max in most other sports you'd imagine that the best ones start when they're like five and then by the time they're 20 they might be competing at the top level but you've turned it around in in four years which I find so impressive one of the things that's really interesting that you said is that you think it's all mindset so i'm intrigued to know you're running at like a 330 pace roughly which is insane does do you ever train where that's comfortable or is that always like holding your hand on fire yeah so um my marathon pace at copenhagen was 337 a kilometer i believe which don't get me wrong isn't comfortable like sometimes I can't get that on a track like or in a 5k race but my whole training was getting 330 pace feeling comfortable so um I would train to that um and hope that on race day 337 would feel easier my phone case on the back of my phone case it says um what if it can be better than you could have ever imagined or what if you can achieve more than you could ever imagine and I think that has been my mindset like in a marathon if that pace is feeling difficult which of course it is 
but I just block that thought out straight away. Like I don't really have time or the energy to be wasted on negative thoughts. Like I kind of repeat in my head, like you're strong, you're in control, you've done the training. Um, And I kind of do like body check-ins. So when I get really scared that this is quite quick and I've got a whole marathon to run at this pace, I'm like, right now, my legs are feeling fine. And I kind of, then I go like, my knees are feeling fine. My arms are feeling fine. My head knows I'm strong. So I'm like, then why am I stressing? So just keep going until it's Mm. not. And then even when you are so knackered, you're like, okay, but my body still feels fine. It's my head that's knackered. Like, obviously my body's really tired as well, but your body can do so much more than your head thinks or tries to tell you it can. I think it's, yeah, just like pushing past it. Did your coach help you understand that? Or was it something you just innately did? My coach is super supportive. I don't think he's ever sat me down and said that. It's just bit little like tidbits that I picked up from listening to podcasts. Mm. Like I'm obsessed with running. Like everything I watch and listen and absorb is running. But he understands me so well. Um, and I kind of need that positive reinforcement. And he said on a podcast recently, because people have asked like about my training and he's like, Anya can disappear off the planet for like three days and I can. And it's when I like lose my head a bit and he just kind of then has to bring me back down and be like, Anya, you're a really good athlete. And I, I can hear him in my head sometimes in his South African accent going, come on, Anya, like, come on, Anya. Um, but he just has to, yeah, like support me. I need that support. I'm not very good at doing it by myself but um no those like that 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 mindset where did I get it from like I don't know I think yeah just it just works for me and it's what I've picked up from listening to other pros um and like following their journeys yeah that's really really impressive and I like the idea of what if it went well mindset I recently started DJing a lot more with my best mate and I used to really shit myself to be honest with you. I used to be thinking, what if I press play and then the thing stops, whatever it sounds bad, what if the crowd doesn't like it. And then I was speaking to someone and they're like, why are you saying whatever it goes badly? What if it's the best best show you ever do? And then last weekend Yeah. I, I tried that and it was literally unreal. It, everything just went perfectly. So now I feel like That's there's mental. so much to be said for like your mental approach going into it. It's crazy. That is so cool. Can I come along to one of your shows? <laughs> yeah, you should come. You like house music? I, uh, I, I like any music. Actually, on that note, so you're now a, an athlete for England. Yeah. Do you drink? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of, I'm 10 well, weeks out from my next marathon, which is Berlin. Um, and I have kind of said I'm going to be sober for the next 10 weeks um but I do like a party and so yeah Copenhagen was like two months ago and I've done a lot of drinking in those two months um but yeah it just affects me mentally alcohol does affect your body like for running it affects your heart rate um so your body will have to work harder if your heart rate's higher and I think it like affects it for like three days and it obviously dehydrates you but you obviously can train whilst oh, drinking but 
I just feel like I need every little bit of help I can get at this stage. It's not going to be 15 minute PBs. It's like seconds and however I can get that. Yeah. How much does the, um, like from four and a half hours to four hours is probably a bit of training. And then from four hours to three hours is a bit of training. How, how tight is yeah, it? Yeah, I think like out? every little thing, um, it's kind of, it matters now. Um, like any small margins I can gain. So I have recently just, yeah, been able to give up my corporate job. And that isn't so that I can do more running. That's so that I can recover a bit better. I can sleep a bit better. Um, I don't get home from work absolutely ravenous and eat like everything in sight. Like I can just prepare my life a bit more and gain those like 1% from that. <laughs> What's your target? pace i actually haven't worked that out um yeah i would love between 230 and 232 um so that's just a two minute pb but at copenhagen i was on for 232 um until the last bit um and it just got so hot and maybe my training wasn't quite there um so determined to do sub 232 this year um and then yeah, I know you didn't even ask this, but I just <laughs> talking about it. But then next year, I will hopefully do London Marathon and do a sub two thirty, um, and hopefully then qualify for some Commonwealth Games. No way, that's insane. What's the aim? That yeah. is insane. But so- I don't know if you heard today, um, Victoria have pulled out from rep- um, from doing the Commonwealth Games in Australia, so. 2026 Commonwealth Games, yeah, meant to be in Australia, and they said they're not doing it anymore. Literally announced today. Oh, really? And I've now been like, what? Like that's been my pipe dream for so long. <laughs> so another country needs to take it on. Obviously, it's so expensive. So I don't know if they will, but yeah, like that'd be devastating for the sport. Oh, so they don't know where it's going to be, or if it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I hope it does. And what? So you're run at yeah. Copenhagen. Am I right in saying it was the seventh fastest time for a Brit in 2023? I think so. My dad tells me that. I think <laughs> if you've looked at my power of 10, that's about correct. Yeah. yeah. But hopefully by the end of the year, we can up it again. Um, Do you... Yeah, it was so mental, Copenhagen. <laughs> Are you friends with the other sort of athletes from the UK? Yeah, yeah, like there's definitely like friendly rivalry, not even really rivalry. Running is so much more of a team sport than people think. Like it's all, you're not against the person next to you. You're all just trying to run your best. But yeah, there's a lot of encouragement with the other girls. Yeah, I know quite a lot of them. um, And I got to know quite a few of them at Copenhagen. So it was my first professional athlete experience. And I was staying in the athlete hotel um, was not just the England team, with all the nations. And that was mind-opening. It was mental. Yeah, that's so cool. What was the most mind-opening thing about it? Just like the level they're at or? Yeah, I was, yeah, really naive. I guess I still am. I'm ha- I like that. I think that's partly why I'm, I hope I can be relatable to people because I am just uh, kind of just finding my own feet as well. There were some of the African nation real pro, like quickest people I've ever seen in my life. And the way they approach 
the day before the marathon, they just like lie around the hotel. Like they don't move. Um, whereas I was like going out shopping and then I was like, oh wait, maybe I shouldn't be getting this amount of steps in. <laughs> um, and the other really funny thing was I got in really late and I went to my hotel room and I walked in and there were two single beds and there was just someone asleep in the bed next to me. And I was like, is this the wrong room? Uh, what is this? So I like texted uh, the team manager and I was like, are we meant to be sharing rooms? And they were like, oh yeah, like that's completely normal. And I had to wait until the morning to find out like who was in <laughs> my bedroom with me. And it was an, another girl from the England team, Philly, uh, Philly Bowden, who actually um, ran 229 at Copenhagen and she was great to absorb off like sponge, like following her around I was. Um, but yeah, it was that that athlete experience was so weird and when I was like naive uh everyone was like mixing their uh like athlete drinks to put out on the pro tables and I was a bit like what do I even put in my bottles like how much like and everyone was obviously so prepared they'd been doing um they'd been elites for so long this was like my first elite marathon so I'd never had drink tables anything like that but yeah it was just an amazing experience (laughs) It's so interesting to hear your perspective because you've got fresh eyes going into it. So I do think it's way more relatable. Whereas like someone who's been doing it for years, they don't, they wouldn't notice all these things. They just see it as like routine. So it's pretty fascinating to see like yeah. hear all these things. Yeah, actually, let me tell you one really funny story again. Yeah, sorry, um, <laughs> there was um, a guy at the airport um, who was looking really lost and he was like I've lost my bag and he was from yeah the African nations and we were trying to help him get his bag back from airport security and rule number one we were told is keep your race kit in your hand luggage in case this happens so I said to him like have you got a hand luggage bag with your race kit and he literally looked I looked him up and down and he was like no I've just got what I'm wearing and he had like this leather satchel and like Birkenstocks on and I was like oh my god um who is this guy and then he suddenly goes but I'm a Nike athlete and they'll just send me some new stuff and I was just like that's mental absolutely mental that's sick that's actually bringing me on to my next question so you had a job you found something you're passionate about and you're now a Lululemon ambassador right so I'm guessing that's partly why you're able to leave your job. Can you explain a bit like how your Instagram side of things works? Yeah. Um, I never thought I would be able to give up my job. Um, so I was doing sports marketing before. So I've always kind of been in the same sphere, but now I'm the other side of the camera. Um, um, so yeah, I gave up my job going now. Um, but Lululemon approached me and... They are the most amazing company. I had um, a little bit of time with Under, but it was um, kind of like a rolling contract. Some new shoes with them. Um, but talking about going pro with some of the big brands, it scared me a lot because if there are certain races you've got to do or certain times you've got to hit or risk basically being dropped. Or you, they ask you to change coaches and I knew Under Armour, um, are based up in Flagstaff in America, and I like to be based um, in the comfort of Southwest London um, <laughs> around Battersea Park. Um, so that was too much pressure. And the more conversations I had with the Lemon, the more they wanted to build 
my brand and my running and in turn it will build um their brand um and it's never been about um selling clothes or hitting times it is literally just um making myself um as like positive and as a successful runner as I can um so like I have um a wage from them which is amazing and I never thought that would happen but with that I also have an allowance just to like yeah build my brand and that can be anything from like massages or video editors or help to push my Instagram um and just the support they have given me has been crazy and I just thought I need to rip off the plaster this is the only time I can quit my job if I have to go get another job fine but let's give it a shot that's amazing did you enjoy that job I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I thought I'd be there for the long term. Um, I even said, like, I want to stay at this job for like years and years. Um, but they've said, because it's sports marketing, if they need any insights into athletics or need talent for athletes, um, like adverts and TV, like <laughs> they'll give me a call. Um, so I hopefully our paths will cross again. <laughs> Yeah, that's really cool. So I think the thing I wanted to ask you that I think a lot of people I know, it's like their huge goal, as seeing as you're a running coach, maybe you can give us a free sample. How would you train someone yeah. to hit some 25K? Like what, what's the times? What's the routines, habits, consistency? Sub 25K, I think is kind of that like mystical golden number that everyone wants and yeah, I definitely didn't have that when I started running. I remember my first sub 25k. It was, I was so excited. Um, I think you need to get comfortable working at a quicker pace than that 5k. And speed work comes so much into training. Um, so I even think for a marathon, the thing that has transformed my running most is structured speed work. So I do at the moment track on a Tuesday and a tempo session on a Thursday. So track is more all out um, speed reps and tempo is your like threshold pace. So um, to put that simply, it's like not emptying the tank, but working quite hard. So it's like building your base fitness um, up and then everything around that needs to be really easy running I think a lot of beginner runners and I was definitely guilty of it they get um caught in this like running in this gray zone so they run a bit too quickly all the time but not quick enough to be pushing their body into that red zone so it's just like accumulating fatigue mm. like time and time again um you need the differentiation of really really easy slow running that just shakes out your legs and then like hard running um that works your aerobic fitness really hard um and anaerobic fitness um yeah so i would definitely find a structured plan and training with people makes such a difference if you can join a run club do i think there are so many run clubs in london at the moment which is probably testament to um like how good they are <laughs> yeah what is happening in Battersea at the moment i feel like it's becoming like a home of running like there's so many people like exactly. growing their instagrams and Battersea park is literally always full of at least 200 runners at any given claim to fame i have on strava got um the local legend for the most loops of Battersea park do you actually so... <laughs> no way yeah 
I can only imagine yeah, that I have must that be most days. that must be actually a very tight competition. That's actually probably more. I think that's more impressive than the marathon time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to just get right into the weeds from nerdy stats. You've listened to all the running podcasts. How often do you train to be at your level, and what sort of load? Um. Yeah. So. I run about 100 kilometers a week um, at the moment, and I'll be pushing that up to 140 kilometers over the next few weeks, um, as I'm Jesus. maybe even this week, uh, as I'm um, <laughs> going into this next marathon block. And that's over six days. So I make sure I have one rest day, which is normally a Friday, um, which is hard to do, I know. And I was getting up at 5.30 in the morning to fit in a two-hour run before work. And I would then crash at my desk and have a severe dependency on monster energy drinks. Um, <laughs> so it's really hard to get in that volume. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I have a Friday off. Uh, the other days is a lot of running. Um, but yeah, it doesn't seem like too hard a work when you love it. Yeah, that's cool. Which is your favorite monster? White one. <laughs> the white ultra one, but they've cool. now got a pink ultra one. <laughs> oh, don't tell me that. <laughs> I've just got off the white one. <laughs> okay, so then what about... It's not good. It's not good. Do you run in the mornings or evening? And then what's your like fueling regime? Okay. I hope I'm not unveiling your secrets. No, I'm happy to talk about whatever. Okay, I'm... good. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, from it's all changed a bit, and so I haven't really chatted about any of this on a podcast since I've become a full-time runner. So I wake up early and still get my morning harder run in um, in the morning. So this is on a session day, so Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So I do my hard run first thing in the morning. Um, I definitely make sure I've had something to eat before that if my run is over like an hour. Um, so that whether that's an energy chew or a banana or a bagel, like everyone loves. Um, then I come back and I refuel. And then I did go and do gym at lunch, refuel. And then I will do a few more easy miles to shake out my body this evening. So it is quite a lot of run, eat, gym, eat, sleep, run. Um, but then they're my hard days. So I keep my hard days hard. And then my easy days tomorrow, I will literally just do one easy run just to shake out. I don't want to be aching from an easy run. It's the complete opposite. Um, yeah, so tomorrow, um, just one longer easy run. Um, yeah, mm. And then back again to Thursday. In terms of like your personal enjoyment of each of those sessions, do you like genuinely enjoy the easy run versus you're like working for the hot on the hard days or do you genuinely enjoy both of them regardless they're so different um I obviously at the start of a session I'm not enjoying it and I used to actually get really in my head about it and get really scared and worked up um but again I kind of learned and taught myself like whatever happens happens um what if it could be better than you thought the sense of achievement after doing a session I absolutely love and you get that's when I get a runner's high um a long easy jog I need something to listen to I love cricket uh I put a test match on like to the ashes I'll go for a nice easy ride listening to the cricket for like an hour and a half 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I like them both for different reasons. And I will run with a friend for an easy run. Um, it's not very sociable doing a session. <laughs> That's a great idea, listening to cricket. That's a really great idea. But sometimes there's only so many podcasts. It's like, what's to. more boring than running? Cricket. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really interested in finding out what makes people passionate or what, how, how they sort of found their passion. So it seems like community mm-hmm. is a big thing for you and like the people you're around. What are the other ingredients of running? Like you're already sporty. So yeah. You've done your whole life, right? Yeah. And you used to play hockey um, and other stuff. Okay, so what do you think, looking internally, what are the ingredients So, yeah, it's definitely the people, as you say. So, luckily, I've only ever had good, um, like, connotations with running. So, I subconsciously have associated running in lockdown with the world opening back up again. And when I was able to see friends, I would see them for a run. And I just, I've always seen running as this big social activity, which has been amazing. I am very competitive. I like pushing myself hard um, and kind of, yeah, just trying to beat my own time. As I say, it is it is a team sport. Like you're not against the other people. You're working with them. Um, I get really motivated by others, which is part of the reason why I'm now a coach. Like my, I'm just as inspired by my athletes who could be running like a 30 minute 5k um as me running in something minute 5k like we're both working our absolute hardest um either way and that really inspires me um yeah I just think seeing I, I often think in marathons like why am I doing this remember why you're doing it and it's just to make myself proud and just see where my limits are because I don't know where my limits are and it's just a passion that I found and <laughs> I'll just keep keep digging away, I think. How does it actually feel like when you finish Copenhagen? Is that an addictive feeling? <laughs> Where you're like, I need to do that again. Yeah. It takes yeah. To get to- Doing one marathon is a huge achievement. But when you start making improvements by like a few minutes or seconds even per marathon, it is like you're training for months and months and months and then you do a marathon, then you've got to do it all over again and again and again. And it does take up a lot of your life. Um, after Copenhagen, I crossed the line and I just remember, yeah, just feeling so proud. And I tried to cry on my coach, but I was so dehydrated, like no liquid was coming out of my eyeballs. Um, and so happy. I didn't want to put too much pressure on that race. I just was like, I'm proud to wear an England vest. Um, I got here in this England vest. Like, let's just see what I can do. Um, yeah, I think pride is a huge thing. Mm. Uh, how does it work? Did, did England, I guess, like at the other races where you were like starting to push into the elite times? Yeah, it's actually, again, mental. So because I didn't run as a kid, I didn't um, do um, English schools running or county running, and my coach is South African, also didn't run as a kid and has no idea how the England selection process works. I literally got an email and was like, would you like to be considered? I think my coach had also received a message being like, who's this girl, Anya? We have literally no information on her. Um, you are down as her coach. And we basically just got on a call with the England team and they've been so supportive. 
and they've been like we just don't want you to fall through the gaps because you are not aware of when qualifying races are or how they work or anything like that so they've been great with me and my coach and like really looked after me um but yeah it literally came from a dm or an email from them wow i mean i was so excited and i didn't know that was a thing they basically say you're being considered and a panel will meet to discuss uh whether you've been selected or not and my mum kept telling everybody that and i kept going mum stop it like i don't know if it's gonna happen or not it was more like touch wood i don't want to jinx it um i was really hoping i did get selected um, and hopefully I'll be able to race with them again. <laughs> yeah, that's so the, the other, There's another thing I want to ask is that I don't really run nowhere near as much as you, but my body, like my knees feel weird. I have stage my ankle feels weird. How often do you have like physio or like, you know, when they run on a treadmill and see how you run and things like that. Is that a really important part um, of being so a long distance runner? I basically, because I had a job, I didn't have time for physio. I didn't have time for gym. Um, up until I gave up my job, basically. And I would only ever get a massage when my body was about to fall apart, um, <laughs> um, which I, you can do for so long. And then at <laughs> some point, you are going to break. Um, and strength is such a huge part in not aching and not getting nib- niggles. So I'd almost say you need more strength training and conditioning than you do physio. Um yeah, there's if, if you've got like sore knees, it's probably to do with your hamstring or your hips. So like you need to build that up. But I've only literally just started doing strength and conditioning in the past like four weeks. And my strength and conditioning coach was like to be a hybrid athlete, um, it, like to be able to gym and run at the same time, it's going to take your body like six weeks to get used to it. And I've been walking around like a tightly strung violin, like, I am so stiff. Uh, uh, I need to sort it out. But like huge kudos to all the high rocks and the people that do run and gym. Like I don't know how they do it. Like it's taken me a while. Do you do any yoga and like just like stretching? I'm so bad at it. Like I hate. I I need to stretch more. I need to foam roll more. (laughs) Uh, But. I, I don't have the patience to sit there and <laughs> do yoga. Like in yoga classes, I am definitely the least flexible person there. And it's like embarrassing. That makes me happy. You've, you've got to this point without having to be like perfect, which is cool. Because exactly, yeah. stretching is, is boring. What, what are your like long-term, do you think years in advance? Think like race by race, month um, by month? I think you've got to take each race as it comes because anything can happen in your running career. Like, touch wood, no one gets injured. Um, But I think you've just got to look like the next week ahead and then the week ahead after that. And before you know it, you'll be at the start line doing that marathon. But then also it's important to have pipe dreams and goals to work towards. But your peak marathon age as a woman isn't until you're like 29. Um, And I'm actually 24 so I just feel like I've got years and I don't want to deep dive. I don't want to get greedy. I just want to keep healthy, fit and happy and hopefully just Wait. keep making small progressions. You're 24? Yeah. No way. That's yeah. insane. <laughs> that is mad. Yeah, I know. It's quite so young mad. for a marathon runner as well. 
Yeah. Do you know like why 29 is better? Like biomechanically? No, I don't know. I, I need to look into that. But women are definitely built more for endurance. And I think you like mature into that. Um, more so than men. Like women can run longer into their life than um, men can as well, from what I understand. Um, oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I think we're built for endurance. You're kind of built for sprinters, um, sprinting. But yeah, goals, I would love to go to the Olympics one day, but it's so hard to go to the Olympics now. Like, looking back, like, not even that many, like, two Olympics, I would have qualified with my time. And now it's just so ridiculously hard to get there. Um, So hopefully try Commonwealth Games first. And then maybe the Olympics in years to come. I think it's LA in like 2028. Um, <laughs> so that's a pipe dream. But yeah, it's just, I just want to stay healthy. That would be and insane. Not injured. Yeah. Wait, so what time do you need for the Olympics now? I think it's like 2.26.50. But they've made it really hard. Like this year, they've even said they're only taking medal contenders um so like you kind of need more than even hitting that time and so many Brits have never hit that time and I don't really understand why I think it's the money um it's like the 10k for a man no British man has ever got before and that just seems so ridiculous to Mm. me and it's like there's no point in just bringing medal contenders because how do you become a medal contender like I would I, you need practice. Like it's just a good experience for younger, like less experienced athletes, just to go and um, see it. You can't just turn up at the Olympics and win a gold medal. Like that's you need. They, like yeah, it just seems mental to me. But I think with some funding, that could change. Yeah, you learn a lot from just being around places and seeing people. Like you say in the hotel, like people lying down all day before. Like how are you gonna know that unless yeah. you? go to it it's really interesting how no british man has ever done i guess like with running it's there's obviously genetic dispositions that make you better or worse but how much do you think things like how much money is invested into running stuff plays into that equation as well um yeah i think so so that's like the world standard i think um yeah rather British standard I'm not 100% sure I have to fact check that um but yeah I think money is a big thing obviously it costs so much to fly people across um but unfortunately doping is really huge in running at the moment and again I'm I'm, this is probably a juicy podcast that I'm saying all the things that I say to my (laughs) friends and I don't say like on other podcasts (laughs) but um it's such a shame and uh, there's so I'm not accusing anyone or anything but some of the times recently have been so totally ridiculous and it's almost like they're not even trying to pretend they're not doping and that is making it so much harder for the clean people in the sport and it's going to get to the point where cycling did all those years ago where to compete you need to be doping and obviously that can't happen I've become quite obsessed with reading all about it and intrigued and listening to podcasts and 
everything and it's fascinating obviously in the UK it's far less of an issue in um, some of the other countries but um, yeah I think it's the knock-on effect is actually affecting the sport as a whole. Why do you think it takes so long for the regulating bodies to like keep up with things like doping? Um, So this is like just what I've heard in podcasts and how interested I've been. Um, I think Kenya are on like the red list at the moment um, because so many of their athletes are just knocking out ridiculous times. Like there's a guy that caught last week and he went from like a 214 marathon to like a 202 marathon or something. It's like you're not even pretending you're not doping at that point. Um, I think... One, the regulation. So that one, the telltales, like how fast your PB improves. Yeah, exactly. Like that was such a jump. That was ridiculous. Um, like, and there was nothing in between. I think the testing in the UK is probably better than it is in other countries. Um, other countries, um, people don't they don't need to dope, but they need to win to get prize money to literally support their family so in that sense you'll do whatever you can to get that money um also where money is is where corruption is so i think in other countries there's probably more corruption in the testing but there are certain drugs there's one called epo at the moment which is like naturally occurring in your body and so that's really hard to track and to trace um and also the the doctors and the science um, and the people administrating the drugs are so far ahead of the um, regulators trying to like monitor it. And they're always finding ways for it not to show up in your body or ways that it looks natural or the perfect amount of time for it just to leave your system before the test. Um, it's so fascinating and mental. That's fascinating. Yeah, that is fascinating. I don't want to put like the cat amongst the hens. Is, is that the same? I don't know. But do you reckon like, um, not to say any names, but world records that have been broken and things like that, do you think, do you think that might come into it? Or do you think these are generational talents? I hope, guess? I hope it would break the sport if it came out with like Kipchoge had been doping. And I hope and pray that that never happened. Um, I think there have been big suspicions about Mo Farah because his coach, um, Salzavar, whatever that was, he um, has like admitted to it. Um, And I think then Mo kind of like left the scene for a while and came back maybe when he was seen um, again. Like, I don't want to get in trouble with Mo's legal, I don't know, team. Um, <laughs> Kipdom, who won London Marathon, always seems too good to be true. But I just hope he's a really talented guy and he's trained really hard and he's inspired by people like Kipchoge. Um, there are tests, so people are being tested. So obviously a lot of people are clean. Um, but yeah, I hope mm. I hope it isn't that case. And I guess the, the other side is... Nutrition is getting better. The shoes exactly. are getting better. So there's like, that's the other side. Yeah, exactly. If it's hard for the people to, if you can't keep up with doping, I've heard people say this, like, do you think there's ever an argument to say like running, cycling, doping is part of the sport? Well, the two, like 
yeah well no but there's like limits <laughs> it's like um like supplements what where, where's the line between I don't know supplement and doping kind of thing and then you have shoes that are illegal yeah. stack kites and um allowed in races so technically if you're wearing an illegal shoe is that kind of the equivalent of doping um so yeah obviously yeah. there kind of needs to be lines but then there's always been I think there's been this crazy Australian recently saying he's officially putting on the doping olympics and you can do whatever you want and it's going to be all these superhumans um but i'm sure that's not safe <laughs> yeah that's the thing i'm sure it's not safe but it's almost like thing is so many people and you could say it's similar to bodybuilding where everyone knows if you're like, yeah. a mr olympia thing it's not it's not even trying to pretend that that's not doping but that's part of the sport and people do it because they love it and it's yeah. the risk they choose to take exactly i wonder if there's ever an argument but yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's but so true in bodybuilding. It does yeah. seem very unfair on the natural. Yeah. Yeah, coming to the end, but I wanted to ask, I think that we've touched on it a, a fair amount throughout, but looking back in hindsight, what do you think? It, can you compare or talk to the difference between the work it took to the difference between the work it took to become like a top 5% runner and then a top 0.5% runner and then a top 0.1% runner. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking that quite a bit recently, actually. Um, I think I'm in this like wilderness at the moment where I'm in between amateur and pro. I want to be at the top of the pile, but I'm not there quite yet. I'm like kind of dipping my toe in amongst them. Um, I think a few things have played into this. Um, I think when I ran London Marathon last year, part of me then thought I need to become a pro athlete. I need to train like an athlete. I need to eat like an athlete. I need to behave like an athlete. And it was so easy to just get like caught up in that in my head um, and I was like running on autopilot and I was obviously working. And I was so busy and I was so tired and I was doing so much. And I didn't have two seconds to reflect that what I was doing was working. And I was on this upwards trajectory and I just need to keep doing what I'm doing because it almost got to a point where I was underfueling or... I was working my body too hard and I was just like burning out. And at some point I was going to snap or um, yeah, just completely get burnt out and become ill. Um, and yeah, I just needed to reflect. And luckily I had like so much support around me. So uh, I never like consciously ate too little or did any of that, but I was still, I was training like a, an elite athlete or like, um, not training like a normal human, but eating like a normal human. And that was partly because I was inexperienced in running. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, part of it was definitely overcoming that. Um, and also I think that is where I feel really, really lucky that I almost didn't run as a child um, because I don't know if I would be running now because I think I... I'm now mature enough to 
I've been able to like realize these things going on around me. Whereas there's so much pressure on these young children that aren't like ready for it. And they're like these junior champs and like champions that are running quicker than adults. And I just think I would have fallen out of love with the sport um, back then. Yeah, the difference between the 5% and the 1% is the consistency. And then between percent and the yeah naught point one percent is um realizing that there isn't an ideal running form um you've just got to do what you can to be the healthy and happiest person like you don't really it's a mindset at this point and it's the little one percent it's not about the running it's about everything else yeah I think that's so interesting because I think what you said applies to almost anything you do and I feel like it. If you'd set out at the start to become the runner you are today and you made like a linear path plan, do you think and started training at the level you are now, you would have not been able to keep that up, right? You probably would have given up and not liked running. Yeah, exactly. So like the idea is whatever you play the field in front of you today and then over time you naturally, if you optimize for being able to be consistent every day for as long as possible, then you will just find out how to be the best runner. Exactly. Everyone's journey will be different. Reading online and then making a plan. Yeah. That's really interesting. I definitely think the points in my life where I've like, sometimes you listen to a podcast and they're like, wake up at six, have a cold shower, do this, do that. And maybe that is what a person does now. But it wasn't just like a day that they were like, right, I'm going to be a millionaire. And then they just started doing that. And then it happened. It was like, they had to do those things to eke out the next level of performance in their life. Yeah. There are no shortcuts. <laughs> well, Anya, that's been amazing. I, I was really interested to learn about running, but I feel like your mentality is the more interesting thing and how that applies to other things as well. Thank you. So, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. I absolutely loved it. I'd say it's one of my favorite podcasts I've done. <laughs> it was six. I'm glad you liked it. I'm super happy. Okay, well, great. It really was. I'll leave your social links and stuff in the comments. And if anyone wants the best coach in Battersea Park, then here she is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah drop me a message. Thank you right, so Anya. much.